Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Uh, and today we are concluding a three a three part series called "Not My Master," and we've just been talking about money, and not in a a, 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 a creepy way or a skeezy way or a weird way. We've just been real about it that it's something that we all have in our life, and it's something that we all struggle with. And the idea of "Not My Master" comes from Matthew, comes from Matthew chapter six, verse twenty four, where it says, "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other." that you cannot serve both God and money. And so I said this from the beginning, this, this sermon series is not anti-money. We're not gonna encourage you to burn all the money in your bank account and, you know, live, you know, in a hut somewhere in another country and just, you know, live on the land and, you know, you shouldn't shop at Walmart. You should just grow your own fruit and vegetables and then you'll appreciate God more. And this is not what this series is about. This is not an anti-money message. This is not an anti-wealth message. This is not a pro-poverty message. This is an anti-idolatry message. We just said it's good to have money. We just don't want money to have us. It's, it's good to have money in our pockets, a passenger in our pockets, but we don't want to let it be the driving force of our life. It just needs to have the right place in our life. And that's what we talked about in week two, one. But in week two, we spoke about something that I thought really helped a lot of people. And it was on financial freedom. And we said the financial freedom is not being poor. Financial freedom is not being worried. There's a place that you can get to with your finances and your money. And it's a process to get there, but God can do it in your life. Money is just not one of the things that you worry about. Maybe you wake up, you're worried about whether or not you're going to have a good hair day. I get that. But money can get to the place in your life where it's not something you have to worry about. It's a journey. There's some things you have to do to get there, but you can get there. We said the first thing you have to do is lay a foundation for your finances, and that's in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. And so we said tithing, it's giving God the first 10% of whatever. I remember being a kid, my parents were strict on tithe. Like if you got $10 for your birthday, you got to give a dollar in. I was like, that's so messed up. Like it's not, I didn't earn it as a gift. It's like if somebody gives me a toy car, do I give one wheel to the Lord? Like I don't understand. But my parents were strict on it and they always did it. It was a great lesson for me in life and it stuck with me ever since. But I had to apologize on behalf of all pastors everywhere because anytime you hear a pastor talk on finances, it's usually just that part. Give, 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 and God will, will bless. And I had to apologize because there's so much more than just giving. Giving is good and giving is important. And yes, it does unlock some supernatural miracles in your life, but you got this other 90% of your money. And if you don't know how to manage what God's given you, it doesn't matter what blessings he gives you. It's all going to waste. It's all going to go through. And so we, we, uh, we gave you a sermon a series, a sermon title called Master Your Money. So not no longer don't let money master you, but yet last week's Sunday's title was Master Your Money, the other 90. Let's talk about the other 90. And we called it part one. And the reason why we called it part one is because it was too much to cover in one Sunday. So part one. And we're going to talk about the second part here today. But the parts were split up in half. We said financial freedom is when you spend less than what you make. So last week we spent time talking about spending less. And that's important because if you make more, but you don't know how to spend well, then the money you make is just going to go to things. 
You're gonna, you're gonna make more money, you're gonna have more stuff and you're still gonna be tight financially living paycheck to paycheck. So after we dealt with that and your appetite for property, possessions and pleasures, then we went on to what today's gonna be, which is not just how to spend less, but how to make more, no matter where you are in life. So the title of today's message is the second longest sermon title you've ever heard in your life. Master your money, slash, slash, the other 90, slash, slash, part two. Part two, that's what we're talking about today. Part two. Um, say amen if you'd like to learn how to make money. Amen. <laughs> that's good. The first service, they were really muted about it. And I didn't know why they weren't surprised. I was like, you probably don't believe the Bible. And I'm gonna teach you what the Bible says about making more. And, uh, but also, I think there's just a stigma that, um, that God is not concerned about those things. But let me just tell you, if you can afford to feed yourself, God cares about that. If you can't afford to help your kids get to college, then God cares about that. If you can afford to, and this is the real key, to have so much in your life that you can help those who don't have, God cares about that. And so we're not gonna shy around this idea of money. I think the enemy would like us to shy around it so that we couldn't do anything and we couldn't have the kind of influence to impact people. But I think God wants us to dive headfirst into it. And so let's do that. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. That's a great name for a church who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, the one he gave five talents to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Talent is a weight of measurement. It's not what you think. Like to one, he gave singing, dancing. <laughs> no, he, although some of y'all have these amazing talents and we hate you because you're awesome. And you know, some of us are like, I'm good at one thing. Amen. And so, so talent is a weight of measurement and it's a weight based on how much you could carry. Back then they weighed things differently. It's like when your mama teaches you how to cook, but she's from the South and she don't have no recipe. She's just like, how much salt? You'd be like, a pinch. What's a pinch? You pinch. And then you let go. So a talent is how much weight a man could carry. So to one, he gave five bags of gold. To the other, two bags of gold. To the other, one bag. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went, went, went at once and traded with them. And he made five more. Then he who had two traded it, invested it, and he made two more. The, but the one who had one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. I know we're not talking about talent like singing, writing, dancing. But let me just say, if God gave you a talent, don't hide it. Don't hide it. Use it, use it for, use it for his glory. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward and brought five more saying, master, you gave me five, I made five more, what's up? And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. That is all I wanna hear when I get to heaven. Well done. You have been faithful over a little. Someone say a little. Now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also went to the guy who had two. And he went to the guy who had two. And the guy said, master, you gave me two. Look, I gave you two more. Verse 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Someone say a little. And I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, there are two principles we see in this story that teach us how to make more. And they are stewardship and investing. If you're taking notes, stewardship and investing. And I want to talk about stewardship really quickly. If you've never heard of this term before, the simple definition of stewardship is taking good care of what belongs to someone else. Matthew 25, 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them whose property? Whose property? Come on, interact. Whose property? Yeah, his property, not yours. Which is crazy because sometimes we'll think that the things are ours are ours. But just because it's yours don't mean it's yours. <laughs> like, for example, does anybody here live in an apartment? Do you like your apartment? Your apartment? 
Because, I mean, technically, it ain't yours. Are you living it? You take baths in it? You cooking it? You stank it up? But it ain't yours. <laughs> no offense. Maybe you smell great. Um, the truth is, it belongs to an owner. And you got to be careful what you do in that apartment. Because one day your lease will be up. I said, one day your life will be up. I mean, one day your lease will be up. And you're going to have to give an account for the way you took care of the apartment that you were given. Are you following me? And because of that, if you know that you're going to have to give an account, you better be careful when you're in it because you know you're going to have to return it to the one who gave it to you. I think the reason why stewardship is so powerful is because we take care of things differently when we know we're going to have to give account for it later. I don't know if you ever rented a car and paid for the insurance or rented a car and didn't pay for the insurance. Sometimes I roll the dice, I don't pay for the insurance. And those days that I don't pay for the insurance, woo, I don't, I don't park in between pickups. I, I drive with eight car lengths distance in the front behind. I get out of my car. I've never done this before in my own car. But then when I know I have to bring back and I do the little 24, you know, 360, walk around the car, look for any dings, because I know I'm going to have to give an account for what's mine. I only belabor the point because so many of us do things with our money with, and whatever we want to do with it, with the excuse being, well, it's my money. And because it's mine, I can do whatever I want with what's mine. Have you ever wondered, what if it's not yours? What if it was loaned out to you for a season and one day you're going to have to give an account for the thing that was leased out to you? Can I take it one step further? What if it's not just your money? What if that's not your child? Wow. Wow. So, there's a husband in here like, I knew it. <laughs> he looked a little dark skinned and I'm not that dark skinned. My grandma said it was in the family with Taino Indians, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it don't mean it like that. Although if the Holy Spirit's convicting you. No. <laughs> What if that child was entrusted to you by God? What if there were a billion babies in heaven and before he put one into your womb, he said, Evie, this is the one and it's the boy and here's the boy and I need you to take care of this one and make sure you raise him up the right way. You care for him, you provide for him and you can't just do whatever you want to that baby because that's your baby. That's not your baby. He was entrusted to you by the Lord. Can I take it one step further? What if that's not your spouse? What if, what, if that, what if that wife is not your, what if she's actually God's princess who he let out of his castle for a season and it's your job, husband, to care for her, to provide for her, to love for her. And if you don't, you'll give an account. You're gonna have to give an account when you face the Lord for the way you treated her. Well, that's my wife. I can do whatever I can hit her if I want to. I can leave her out if I want to. That's not your wife. And you will give an account for what you did for his daughter one day. When it's not yours, you care for it differently. And so there are two things that God wants you to steward in your life. The first thing that God wants you to steward well, that's not yours, although it's yours, is he wants you to steward your property. And I literally mean your tangible, there's no spiritual parallel here. I mean, if you have it, take care of it. But some of us don't take care of it because what we have is not what we want. And because what we have is not what we want, why bother? It's not what I want. When I get what I really want, then I'll take care of it. But what you don't understand is that the way that you take care of what you have is what unlocks what you want. Matthew 25, 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a what? Over a what? Then I will set you over what? Aha, now here's the question. What comes first, little or much? So if you want to get to much, you got to first go through the path to having what you don't have begins with valuing the little you do have. 
Can I, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it more. I'm gonna make it more real. I know you want to own a home for all of those who are in an apartment right now. But before God can trust you with a home, He needs to know. Can I trust you with the apartment you have right now? Because if you treat the home the way you treat that apartment, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry. I, re, I just mean if you can't shut off the lights in a one-bedroom apartment, how does how can God trust you with a four-bedroom house? If you can't, it, 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 I know you want the Toyota Lexus. Lexus. Ooh, Lexus. We have a dream teamer called Alexis on our Lexus. <laughs> Could have named you Corolla, but you named her Alexis. Value worth. I only make the Corolla joke because I don't see how God could trust us with the Toyota Lexus if we can't change the oil on our Toyota Corolla. It's the process to this. You know what I'm saying? Like Justice, who I love, he's in the front row taking notes in the sermons. He shouts me down. He's the best. My firstborn. Love my firstborn. You know, we just went through a tough season, him and I, recently, and we, we got through it intact. We still love each other. And, uh, and it was a situation with the Xbox controller. He, uh, he, he, uh, he dropped his Xbox controller. He's been dropping it a couple times this month. It's slippery. I'm sorry. And he dropped it. And one day, one day he dropped it, and it did not get back up. <laughs> The joystick thing broke, and then, and then you know, we had a conversation about it, and, and, but he wasn't really mad that it broke. Um, what he was mad about was that I wouldn't let him use my controller. <laughs> uh, there was a third controller in the house. It was mine. It was my Xbox controller. I bought with my money. I mean, I bought it all, but <laughs> that was mine. And he said, well, Dad, can I use yours? And I, I just told him, and it was a good lesson that we learned. I said, you know, Papi, I, I know that I have it, and I know that you know that I have it, but I can't give you what I have, not because I don't love you and not because I want to keep things from you and not because I want you to be sad, but because I don't know that I can trust you with this if you couldn't take care of that. So I know that I have it and you, I might be a mean dad for withholding what you want, but I'm going to withhold what you want because the lesson I teach you is greater than the gift that I give you. There's a lesson that God wants to teach you about valuing your things that is greater than the gift that he wants to give you. And sometimes, I just want you to know right now, God, God, we get mad at God because we know that he has it. That's what messes us up. We know that he has it. He's the owner of all the silver and the gold, the cattle on a thousand hill, the Bible says. So we know that he has it, so why won't he give it to us? And the reason why God won't give it to us is because you keep asking God, can I trust you? Can I trust you? I dare you to, to flip that question around. Try it. Can, can, God, can you trust me? Can you trust me making six figures? Because some of y'all might make six figures and just go buck wild if y'all make six figures right now. So like, God, I want to make, or seven, I want to make, you would go wild. God's like, listen, if I gave you seven figures right now, you'd be in Vegas like <laughs> next week. Like, if y'all, listen, if you can't budget a couple of hundred dollars a week, like if you can't track your money when you just got a little of it, you think getting more of it's going to help you track it better? You're just going to lose more of it. So there's this issue of stewarding. Write this down. Little things are big tests. Little things are big tests. Take care of the little things in your life. They're big tests. Don't just steward your property or your possessions. Here's the next thing you got to steward. You got to steward your profession. Steward your profession. You want to put it on the screen. Steward your profession. If you want to make more, you need to do, be better at your job. Like, and I know some of y'all are like, well, you know, I, I, my job really. Listen, your job is the only way you're making money. Unless you're up in this piece stealing things, like stealing and a job are the only ways 
You can, and I assume you know stealing's bad, so I'm gonna just skip that and go to, to go to your job. Like you, you've got to get better at your job. You've got to take care of it. And I hear you already as I'm telling you to take care of this job that God has given you. And what you're saying is, I don't like this job. What you're saying is, I don't like my boss. And here's what you're really saying to get out of taking care of your job. And by the way, this is not my calling. So I'm not gonna care for it because I don't like it. I don't like the person I'm working for. And this is not my calling. I'm a pastor. I'm an author. I am a platinum songwriting singer. They just don't know it yet. So I don't like, so I'm not gonna care about this chicken sandwich that I'm making right now because this is not my calling. And I wanna introduce you to somebody who, if you have that attitude, you will stay right where you are in life. Because I wanna wanna introduce you to somebody who did not like what he was doing, who did not particularly love the people he was serving, and for sure it wasn't his calling, but he succeeded in every season of life and work and profession that God put him in, and his name is Joseph. Joseph is uh, one of the youngest of 12 brothers, and he was so successful, he was a hard worker. He took care of whatever was in front of him. And so his dad entrusted him with everything, but his brothers got jealous because his dad, because he was doing so good. By the way, when you start to succeed in life, you just gotta be ready for the haters. They come out when you succeed in life. And so the brothers, the haters came out, they started hating, and they hated on him so much that they beat him up and sold him off to slavery. And so now Joseph is a slave and he ends up in this dude's name, Potiphar's house. And I wanna read to you Genesis 39, one through four. Now Joseph, who had been sold to Egypt, but the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, success in everything that he did, success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole house and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Some of y'all step into your workplace and just expecting God's favor to shine on you. Do you think that's what happened with Joseph? That that he stepped into Potiphar's house and there was just a glow on him? Like there was just this aura around him? Because if you don't, then don't expect the same thing when you, like I see you walking into, my first job was a shoe salesman. I I worked at Shoe Carnival, if you you know that story. And, And sometimes you expect God's favor to walk on. Like when you walk in there for the boss to look at you and be like, oh my gosh, everybody like, did you see the wings? Did you see them when he walked in? Did you see the halo when it came out? And did you see how those papers on the table levitated when he walked into the room and she, and she said this? And, and, and that's not how favor works. Favor is a product of your, and when he saw that he had success in everything that he did, favor is a product of succeeding where you're positioned. You got to succeed at where you're positioned. I don't care if your boss doesn't like you. You know what your boss does like? Money. And if you make your boss money, you are your boss's best friend. You're getting invited to your boss's daughter's birthday party. You're getting invited to the wedding anniversary. You're getting special presents on, for your anniversary. They're going to know your birthday, your anniversary, because that's what boss is like. That's that favor that I succeed at everything that he did. And so he succeeded there and God elevated him, but he couldn't stay there. He ended up going to jail because he got accused of something he didn't do. But look what happens to Joseph in jail. Because you can take, he was a prince back home. You can take the prince out of the palace, but you can't take the prince out of the prince. He, he was a hard worker. He was a servant. So even in the prison, look what he does in Genesis 39, 20 through 22. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with them. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those. 
held in the prison. You can't keep this guy down. He keeps getting promoted everywhere he goes. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Let me ask you a question. How do you think the warden noticed Joseph? Again, do you think it was some kind of glow, some kind of favor, some kind of electricity? Did he go super saiyan? What happened? (laughs) I think it was just the way, I think the warden was walking past every cell and Joseph's cell was the cleanest cell in the whole prison. I think when it came to eating, Joseph was the first one at the commissary. And I think when everyone left, Joseph probably stayed back to help clean up all their plates. He was the hardest worker. God saw that. The warden saw that. And God elevated, he stewarded his job well. And then one day Pharaoh sees him. Genesis 41 through 41, 43. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his ring finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain. He was dripping around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the people shouted before him, make way. For he had put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. If you can treat the prison like a palace, God will take you from the prison to the palace. It's not just your part-time job. It's not just your side hustle. It's not just what you're doing because you couldn't find something other. It's a little test. It's a little thing that's a big test. Take care of it and God will elevate you in your occupation and your profession. I promise you. I want to show you the story of someone who did just that. You know, stewardship gets talked about a lot. That's kind of how you handle what you've got. Jesus said it this way, if you're faithful over a little thing, you'll be faithful over a big thing. If you're faithful over a few things, you'll be faithful over many things. Now, I've never had a job in my life, even in an army, where, you know, how do you get promoted? Well, you handle what you got. And most people are griping, I don't like my job, and I wish I had his job, or I want their job, and I want that job. Well, how do you think they got that job? People don't give you a job because you need one. I used to tell my kids, you know, they only hire you for two reasons, you know. You know something somebody else doesn't know, you can do something somebody else can't do. Humans don't hire you because you need a job. They hire you to help them do something they can't get done someplace else. So stewardship begins the thing where, you know, when I became an engineer, people said, how'd you become an engineer? So, well, I got married, uh, had a good job running a backhoe for a construction company, but I had no health insurance. So I just got back out of the army. My, my wife won't marry me unless I have health insurance because in case she gets pregnant. So I quit my backhoe job, got a job as a janitor for Olin Matheson. Well, I'm not even the janitor. I'm just pulling nails out of wooden blocks on the Tennessee River. Two weeks after that, I got promoted to janitor. So I called my wife on a Thursday afternoon. I just got promoted. I'm going to be the janitor in the milk cast department next week. She said, you got insurance? Yeah. So I got the job. So two weeks in our marriage, we're having breakfast, and uh, she's working for the phone company. And we're talking. She said, Joe, let's talk about our future. I said, okay. I said, well, number one, you need a better job. I said, I had a better job. I took a worse one to marry you. No, you need a better job that pays benefits. I said, I'm aware of that. So we had a good conversation that day, and I began to realize something. I got to move up the food chain, so I'm in a big union shop, and so I'd go down after I punch out of work, and they got a bid board. Now I'm a new guy. I have no seniority. I'm just the new kid on the block. So I'd look up. If that job paid 10 cents an hour more than I was making, I'd sign my name up. And uh, I don't care what I sign up on, somebody would come to me. 
hey, McGee, somebody signed your name up on the blankety-blank job down there. Man, you don't want to work down there. You know what they do down there? Do you know how hard it is and how hot it is and how bad the foreman is? And I'm telling them, if the cheerleaders from hell don't show up when you get ready to step out to do something. And it was just, it was amazing. And people spent most of their time trying not to work, getting out of work and avoiding work than working. And I realize even heathen humans love people that'll work. You know that? If you don't have to be the smartest or the best looking, have the highest IQ, if you'll show up a little early and do your job and stay a little late, they're gonna promote you. They're not looking for people that like, they're looking for people that'll get the job done. So I began to move through the plant. It took about three years, been on every job in the plant. If it paid 10 cents an hour more, I bid on it. I kept getting jobs, you know, and I'm moving, moving, moving. And finally one day, I'm at the top of the food chain. And I'm sitting down there in the plant running these big old stranders, man, big old machines. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking left, I'm looking right. Now I'm kind of still new. I've only been there three years. But everybody I'm working with is like 20 years older than me. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh dear God. 20 years from now, I'm gonna look just like these old guys, sitting there, you know, all depressed, half-shaven, hats on backwards, a cigarette hanging out of their mouth, like, oh my God, is that what I'm gonna look like 20 years from now? I gotta get out of here. And so I thought, what am I doing? I've bid on everything here. There's only one department that made more money than I was making at the time. It was the milk cast department. This was years ago. I was making about $3.80 an hour. Well, they made about $8 an hour down at milk cast, so I went and read the union manual. They had four operators, a foreman, and a janitor. So I went and bid on the janitor's job. People said, hey, McGee, you better do something. Somebody signed you up for the toilet job. No, I signed up for it. Now, I didn't tell anybody why. I just signed up. You gonna run clean toilets, go to the dump every day? I said, well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You get to throw those eight-foot fluorescent bulbs away and they explode like something in a science fiction movie. It's, it's a lot of fun. So next thing you know, I got down there. Foreman got promoted. Operator got promoted to foreman, and they have an opening. I put my bid in. Well, people made fun of me. You can't bid on that. You haven't been in this plant long enough. Well, the union manual said you have to promote from within the department. Nobody read it, evidently. Now, I didn't write the union manual. I just read it. So it went into arbitration for three days. Three days later, they gave me that job. I got that job down there as a furnace operator. People got mad, pointed their middle finger at me. It was kind of ugly. But I got to keep the job because I read the manual. And I'm going somewhere with this. I hadn't had that job three months. I noticed a guy walk down below me one day in a white shirt and clipboard and nice pressed pants, and I asked my foreman, who is that guy? How come he doesn't sweat? Everybody in this plant sweats. Why ain't he sweating? That's a lab technician. A what? A lab technician. So how come he doesn't sweat? It's air conditioning in the lab. There's a job down here that's air conditioned? He said, yeah. He make more money than we do? Sure, he's a lab technician. How do you get that job? You can't get that job. You have to have a degree in metallurgy. I can't even spell metallurgy. So after work, I go down, I sign at the personnel office. I said, hey, how do you get to be a lab technician? She said, you got to take a test. I said, when you give the test? She said, Thursday. Can I take it? She didn't know. She's just the reception. She said, yeah. I said, sign me up. So I sign up for the test. And so I go in Thursday, and we got all these college graduates, got their coat and tie on, 17 of them, degrees in metallurgy. I show up. I've been on the furnace all day. I'm white with sweat. I smell. Got on my metal tarsal shoes, and I walk in. The instructor says, can I help you? I said, yes, sir, I'm here to take a test. He said, I don't think so. Yes, sir, and somebody had retyped my name, so I looked official. So I sat down to take the test. Well, it's 100 questions, A, B, C, or D. It's all on metallurgy. I went to a country high school. We didn't have any metallurgy. Can't even spell metallurgy. So I sat down, and I thought, well, first answer, don't know it. Let's go to the second one. Don't know that. Third one, don't know that. I know how to take a test. Keep moving till you know an answer. 
I went through all 100, I don't know the answers. I go back to number one, I put A, number two, B, number three, C, number four, D, number five. So I ABC'd the thing all the way through. So I finished it in 20 minutes. Well, it's a two-hour test. I step up, I go up front to hand it in. People look at him, my God, he's a genius. He finished the test in 20 minutes. So two weeks later, I get a call from the lab. The guy calls him down, Steve Radline. He worked for NASA before NASA was famous. And he called me and said, Joe, why do you want to be a lab technician? I said, well, Mr. Redline, I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I like to work for cash. And y'all make more money than we do out there. Plus, it's air conditioning here, and that would be something else. You get to wear those white shirts to work every day. My wife would be impressed if I went to work with a white shirt. And you guys are ordering that corned beef on rye from the deli. We're eating that pineapple cream cheese out there in that machine. That'll mess you up for a week. He said, I like this. Plus, you listen to classical music. I have no idea what they're saying, but it beats that country stuff we're trying to keep beating with out there. He just kind of laughed. He said, you weren't supposed to take this test. I said, well, nobody told me. He said, you know what you scored? I said, well, I got a 50-50 chance of getting 50. I guessed at everything. He said, you scored a nine. I said, what? You scored a nine. I'm trying to think. Did they round it up? He scored a nine out of 100. He said, Joe, don't ever gamble. You're not good at guessing. Long story short, he said, you know, I got a problem between us and the floor. The blue-collar guys don't like our white-collar guys. White-collar don't like blue. And the plant manager's mad. He said, I need to liaison. You might be our guy, Joe. Would you be willing to come in here for three months, see if we can teach you the formulas, and we'll make you a lab technician? And I became the first non-degree lab technician that they'd ever had. Eventually, I became an engineer, worked my way up through the food chain. People said, how'd you, how'd you become an engineer? I said, stewardship. Did my job real good. I looked for a better job to do constantly. I never griped about the company, didn't thumbsuck about it, didn't bagmouth the foremans. I'm here to serve. And I got myself promoted. It wasn't because I was the smartest. It wasn't because I had the highest IQ. I stewarded what I was given. Stewardship is the most powerful thing in the world. You take care of what you got, somebody's going to notice you, and something great's going to open up for you. God bless you. Stewardship is the most powerful force in the world. Stewardship is powerful. That's stewardship. And so now that you got that, you got to say steward. You got to steward. Here's the second thing if you want to make more. It's not just steward. It's also investing. Now, I want to let you know, I... Oh, you just, you beat me. You, you messed it up, whoever put the screen on. I was, put it away. Let's pretend like they didn't see it. I want to tell you what you can invest in. Listen, pretend like you didn't see it. It was going to be a good buildup. I was going to say something like, it's not a stock. It's not a bond. It's not a treasury. I invest in all those things. It's not real estate. It's not a condo. All right. You. <laughs> we have the best... Best church. I love y'all. Investing in you. Matthew 25, 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Each according to what? Put it on the screen. Each according to what? So to one he gave according to what? I never saw that last part. I only saw that first part where it said gave. Keep it on the screen because they need to see it. And I will get so upset at God because I'm like, well, what if I'm not the one that got five? And I'll be like, that's not fair, Lord, that you get to pick that this one gets this much and this one this. And here's where it really became an issue. I began to use, I began to use it as an excuse for my mediocre performance. So I would look at what God was doing through me and then I would just reflect on what God was doing in someone else or another church or another pastor or another preacher. And I go, well, I'm, I'm no him. And I'm no him. I, I'm just a two-talent preacher. You're just a two-talent singer. You're just a, a two-talent influencer. You're just a, a two-talent salesperson. You're just a two-talent artist. You're just a two-talent painter. If we're not careful, we will use this idea that God picked this and this and that for us as an excuse to stay where we are. But look at it again. Throw it back up on the screen. According to his... 
Ah, so God didn't give you more and him less because he loves you more and loves her less. He gave you more because you could carry more. Remember the word talent was a measurement of weight. And what was the parallel? It was how much a person could so God wasn't being unfair. He just gave him what he could carry. And so if you invest in you and increase your capacity to carry, here's how I wrote it. You can write it in your notes. If you can increase your capacity to carry, you will increase your ability to earn. If you can invest in you and be a better you, you will make more, more money doing what you're doing. I promise you. If you get good at it. And we're so quick to compare. We wish we had this person's gift because their gift is better than my gift. Have you ever done that before? I wish I had their gift. Their gift is better than my gift. I wish I had their talent. Their talent is better than my talent. Instead of wanting somebody else's better talent, what if you just wanted to be better at the talent that God gave you? Ah, it's good preaching, but it's hard practice because it's easy to want what someone else wants better because that just requires jealousy. It costs me nothing. But to improve myself... That takes work. That takes hustle. That takes, that takes not just being gifted, that takes reading books. Like, I know what you can do, but you know what you can do? You can read a book. I know, I know what you can do, but you know what you can do? You can listen, watch a YouTube video. You can listen to a podcast. You can get a mentor. You can learn whatever it is that you're not good at. You can grow in if you get around the right people. You know, I listen to a sermon every day. That is my way of honing my craft. I make sure before I go to bed, I, I, I listen to one sermon every day. And that's not the last thing I go to bed. That'd be weird. It's not the last thing. No, no, it's not like my lullaby. You know, I'm just falling asleep. No. But every day I want to grow and I want to get better. Whatever you're doing, if you're a painter, be the best painter. Be the Michelangelo of painting houses. You know what I'm saying? And then at the end when you paint the house, put a little signature on the bottom. Be like, house by Duarte. You know what I'm saying? Just throw it in there. Listen, if you're going to be a hairstylist, be the very best hairstylist that you can be. Give it all that you can. I want to make sure that I can be the very best pastor I can be. Because a lot of people ask us, they go, well, you know, when's Journey Church going to open up another campus? When are we going to have the point, Journey Poinciana? Or, or Journey uh, uh, Kissimmee. And I, you know, I tell them, I go, I'll tell you when God's going to give us Journey Kissimmee and Journey Poinsia. We can, can take care of this journey right here. <laughs> when we can take care, and let me be honest, we're having a hard time taking care of this one right here. That's a big building, y'all. And until we can't take care of this, God will never give us that. If we don't grow our capacity staff, if we don't grow our capacity dream teamers, coordinators, if we don't grow our capacity, God can't give us that because he knows that we can't handle that. And so here's my next point. Don't complain that you don't have what you know you can't handle right now. Don't complain that you don't have what you can't handle. I know you wish. I wish I had 100 employees. If I had 100 employees, we could, my business would, we would take off. Can you handle 100 employees? I wish I had 1,000 customers. If 1,000 people bought your product tomorrow, are your systems in place to efficiently meet the need of the 1,000 people that are buying your product right now? Or would your website crash because it wasn't prepared for the, for the load? I'm just asking. If, I, I know you want a better boss, but you know how to take, get a better boss? If you, if, you, if, you can, if you can help grow and serve the boss that you have now, yeah, so God is going to give you that next one. If you can't handle the boss you have now, you're not going to be able to handle the boss that God gives you later. You got to grow. You got to grow you. You can grow you. You can grow you. Someone say, I, I can grow me. I can't do much, but I can grow me. How about this? Instead of praying for more, what if we prayed that God would help us grow more? God, grow me more. I stopped praying for big churches. God, grow me more. Make me a better preacher. Make me a better pastor. Make me a better leader. Help me grow. Because I know that the blessing will only hit the limit of my capacity. 
So help me increase my capacity so that I can do more because I know you want to do more with me, in me, and through me. And here's the final thing we need to invest in. Don't show it on the screen. <laughs> Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not, someone say do not. do not. Store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, anything that you can save here on earth is... It can be eaten, it can be stolen, it can be taken, it can be robbed, it can be lost. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God is saying, don't invest just here on earth. If you're going to make an investment, make an investment in heaven. In other words, don't just invest in earth, invest in the eternal. Eternal, eternal, eternal. Uh, I'm going to have a quick throwback real quick. This might be a, a throwback for many of you. How many people remember this game right here? Yeah. Come on, with the spinny wheel. The game of life. I, I bought it with my kids. And Justice, remember when we played this game, Justice? This is a really good game. And uh, there were some inaccuracies in this game. It was fun to play, but as I was playing it, I was like, I don't think I like the life lessons that this game is teaching. This is some things that weren't real. I remember you had, a, you had house pieces and then $500,000 bills. They were like, we're going to be better than Monopoly. That's what they said. Ones and tens, you know, uh, we're going to do uh, hundred thousands and five hundred thousands. You got to fill little people in your car and you went through on the, the board. Uh, one of the things that I thought was inaccurate uh, was that this edition has pets. That's cool. Uh, was that as soon as you graduated college in the game, you got a job? <laughs> I thought that's funny. <laughs> and 100% and not true. What was funny is that you didn't get to pick your job. You just got whatever card you got. I thought that's true. <laughs> you don't always get to pick your job. It's just whatever's there, I'll do. Uh, another thing I didn't like about the game was that you, you had to get married in the game. You could not win the game of life if you did not get married. And I just want to let all my single people know, being married doesn't mean you win. Being single doesn't mean you lost. And I remember your daughter, Lily, when she's still my niece, we were playing the game. And there's a part in the game where you cross, like, you've got to get married. Like, this is part of the game. And she was like, I don't want to. <laughs> I was like, baby girl, I I'm sorry. Like, it's part of the game. Like, you got to get married. Like, you got to go to the game. Because I'm a big rule guy. And she's like, I don't want to get married. <laughs> and I'm like, why not? Baby, why not? We're gonna get married. She's like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. <laughs> I was like, I was like, like what? She's like, what if I'm pregnant and I want to ride a roller coaster? <laughs> I was like, baby girl, that's not a man you're listening to. That's your doctor. Like, don't do that. Like, that's your doctor. You shouldn't do that. You had to. You had to get married in the in the game. Like, but the thing that upset me the most, and I got the instructions here just to prove it was the way you won the game of life. Count your cash. And if you have the most, you win. Is that really how we win the game of life? Whoever ends with the most money in their bank account? Is that how you win? I think a lot of people think that. That's why we spend the hours the way we do and our time the way we do. And I just want to tell you, there was one thing this game got right. That it didn't matter how much money you had and how much houses 
you had. What I loved about this game was that when the game was over, this, this part they nailed, y'all. They nailed this part. That when the game was over and you reached the end of your life, you had to turn all that in. In other words, when the game of life is over, you don't get to take a lick of it with you. And all the time you spent on that board amassing property and, and money and titles and promotions and all of the things you spent your entire life building, absolutely, the game's over. You got to turn it in and you can't take any of it with you. You can't take any of it with you. I know this has been a series on money, but I need to put it all in perspective for you. In this last point right here, you can't take any of it with you. You can't even take this car with you. Bye-bye, Corolla. <laughs> Bye-bye. I can't take you with me. I can't take you with me. So don't invest in temporary things. If you're going to make an investment, invest in the eternal, the things that don't last, the things that don't rust, the things that can't be stolen. And can I tell you what's eternal? Only two things. You and people. See, in the game of life, I have to turn in the car. But I still got the people. I still got the people. I don't know what my camera is, but I still got the people. I still got the people. So just a radical idea. If people are what matter the most, then maybe you don't win the game of life because you have the most money in your bank account. Maybe you win the game of life if you have the most people at your funeral. Maybe you win the game of life when you spent your life in such a way that when it's finally your time to close up the shop, Hundreds of people are lined up in front of your casket talking about the impact that you had on their life. I'm trying to tell you, it's not what you do down here that matters. It's how much of what you do down here that shows up there. Yeah, like this game is so crazy. Like, how much do you get? Another thing that's wrong with this game. At the end of the game, you get $50,000 for each baby you have. Get? I left the hospital. Forget raising up kids. I left the hospital with a $30,000 bill because my wife had a C-section. I get 50, ha! Don't get no money for having kids. They take money. You don't get money. You don't win the game of life by having kids. You know how you win the game of life? By making sure the kids you do have, that as many of them as you can, that they get there with you. Because I'm telling you, you can't take your car to heaven. You can't take your house to heaven. You can't take your clothes to heaven. The only thing you can take to heaven with you is your family. Come on, come on, that's right. So it's your family. So I'm gonna invest in my family. I'm gonna invest in my children. I'm gonna invest in my marriage. Can I give you some perspective? You're not spending time at church today. You're investing time in you in eternity, this will show up in heaven. This will show up in heaven. When you get there, when you get there, when you get there, and we will all get there and face the Lord on that day, there are only two questions. Oh, remember that guy who had one? Oh, poor guy. The guy who had one and he hit it, the story? Matthew 25, 20, I'll give you the ending real quick. We'll end, we'll end. Take the talent from him who did nothing with what he was given and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, but, and who have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 30 sounds so harsh, but you gotta let it 
shape you and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, I, I don't mean to scare you. I'm not here to bring gloom and doom. I'm just here to tell you a reality that everything that you have is not yours and one day you will have to give an account for it. You will have to one day talk to the Lord. You will have to answer two questions to God when you get there. This is in your Bible. There are two questions. Here's question number one. What did you do with my son, Jesus? That's the first question. I gave you Jesus. I gave you this Bible. You heard the story. You were at Journey Church. You heard the gospel. You watched the Passion of the Christ when you were a kid. You, you, you've heard this. Now, what now? But what did you do when you heard that Jesus story? How did you steward the story? How are you stewarding the story? And here's the second question. What did you do with what I gave you? He doesn't blame you for not giving you a lot if he didn't give you a lot. That's not the question. The question is, what did you do with what I gave you? I might have not given you a ton, but I gave you. So what'd you do with it? Did you waste it? Did you squander it? Did you spend it haphazardly? What'd you do with the talent I gave you? What'd you do with the platform I gave you? What'd you do with the followers that I gave you? What'd you do with the money that I gave you? What'd you do with the skills that I gave you? The gifts that I gave you? The family I gave you? The house that I gave you? The church that I gave you? What did you do with it? This is why I'm terrified about the way I lead this church and I'm terrified in a good way because I know this church isn't mine and one day I'm gonna have to stand before God. He's gonna ask me, what did you do with this church that I gave you? And it scares me, but it also makes me, like, I better take care of it. Yeah. And I want to give it my all and give it my most and give it in a way where I can still take care of my family, but, I, but in a way that I can, I can know that I can get there and go, I did, what I, I did my best. Yeah. I did my best. I didn't squander it. I didn't waste it. I went all in. God wants you to go all in today. Invest in the eternal. I want to keep this game up here for just a second as I lead you on the two prayers. Prayer number one is for someone in this room today. You've heard Jesus. You just haven't done anything with Jesus. And there is an opportunity to steward the story today by accepting him in your heart as your Lord and your savior. I wanna do something with Jesus today because the game of life is coming to an end. And when it ends, that is the question you will be asked. So every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room and you have done nothing with Jesus yet, it's not too late. That day is not here yet. Today is still your day. Today is the day of salvation all over this room. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. Jesus, I wanna follow you. You want Jesus in your heart. When I say three, raise your right hand and you want Jesus in your heart. You wanna start a relationship with him. You wanna change who you were. You're gonna allow Jesus to change who you're becoming. You can leave this, you can take that. All over this building on three. One, two, three right now. Raise your right hand, I see it. I see it, I see it, I see it all over this building, all over this building. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11, amen. Go ahead and put your hand down. We're gonna pray with you. If you raise your hand, everyone who didn't raise their hand is gonna pray with you because we want you to know you're not alone. I wanna lead you in a prayer of following Jesus. Repeat after me, Father God, Father God today, today I, realize I realize I've heard of you, but I haven't decided to follow you. Today I do something with the story of Jesus. Become the Lord of my life. Forgive me for my past and prepare me for my future. I receive you into my heart. I commit my ways to you. Forgive me. I love you. Amen. Come on, give it up for those who raise their hand. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Now I don't want anybody leaving or moving around. Give me a second. I'm gonna ask you in a second to stand. 
but I don't want you to leave just in a second because I think this prayer, this prayer applies to everybody. So if you would just stand really quickly and here's the second prayer. Let's show question number two on the board real quick. Question number two on the screen. I feel like a game show host on the board. Number two, what was the second question? What did you do with what I gave you? Put it up if you still got the slides. What did you do with what I gave you? This is the question I want you to enter into a time of worship about now. You have something, something. It might be, it might be a little nothing, but it might be something. I'm not collecting an offering. I'm saying, what are you gonna do with it? How are you gonna use it to impact eternity? How are you gonna use it to impact someone else's life? All over this building right now, if you feel comfortable, I want you to go ahead and enter into a time of worship and into a time of prayer where you're saying to the Lord something like this, whatever I have, God, I wanna use it for you. Help me not waste this. Help me serve you with my hands, with my talent, with my gifts. Come on, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We worship We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.